0: ho Tudor-minded people. It's Philadelphia Carry for Tudor Time Machine. The word I share with you this week is sconce. What a word! It has so many meanings. It might mean a person's head, as in, I shall knock you about the sconce, you knave. It might mean a screen placed in front of a fire, as in, put up the sconce that the fire does not singe my gown. It might mean a small work that defends a pass or a castle gate, as in, "'Beware the sconce as we storm the castle.' It might mean a lantern, as in, "'I see your horrid visage by the light of my sconce,' or even a head covering, as in when Marjorie, my good maidservant, says to me, "'My lady, you must adorn yourself with your warmest sconce. The air outside is bitter.' And it could mean wit or sense, as in that I could rebuff Marjorie and say, Have you no sconce? The air is perfectly warm. Sconce. Wow. That
1: is a word with many meanings. How now, Tudor Files, what think you? If you're new here, I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. And we're here with our own Philadelphia Carey for Tudor Word of the Week.
0: Don't miss a word. And listen to the Tudor Time Machine Story Project – Jessica reads a chapter of Time's Riddle, and then my dear friends discuss the history behind the mystery. How diverting. So subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Thank you so
1: much for listening. We've had so many new downloads, and it's wonderful that you share our tutor
0: fascination. So I have to admit that before we looked deeper into the word sconce, I had no idea it was so versatile. I mean, why do we need another word, right? We just make the whole language sconce.
1: I know. Do you think it was hard to know which meaning you were supposed to understand when someone used it? You were like, I sconce you.
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess context is everything when making sense of a word in a piece of Tudor period writing. I mean, context is still is everything, but especially when you're reading something from so long ago.
1: This of our word sconce that we're presenting comes from a play. When you see me, you know me by Samuel Rowley which was published in quarto in 1605.
0: But the play was first performed in 1604 at the Fortune Theatre by Prince Henry's men.
1: When Queen Elizabeth died in 1603, there were changes in the patronage of the three major theatre companies in London. Shakespeare and Burbage's company, the Lord Chamberlain's men, got the big prize and they became the King's men.
0: The Admiral's men became Prince Henry's men and Worcester's men became the Queen's men.
1: Prince Henry's men were the main rival to the king's men, and they were managed by the theater impresario Philip Henslow. Samuel Rowley was a writer and an actor for that company. Also, nothing is known about him. (laughs) And When You See Me, You Know Me is the only play of his that survived which was not a collaboration
0: with another writer. So the play is about the life of Henry VIII.
1: But it's all mixed up. Rowley smooshed together events that happened over three decades.
0: The play opens with the uber-ambitious Cardinal Wolsey plotting his way to become Pope. But Jane Seymour is just about to give birth to Prince Edward. And the thing is, Edward was born in 1537, and Wolsey died in 1530. So the timeline's a little weird.
1: (laughs) Yes, and then in the space of a few speeches... Jane is dead, Edward is grown up, and Catherine Parr is Henry's new wife. We're zipping through time and leaving out a few important people.
0: I mean, what happened to Anne of Cleese and Catherine Howard? Who knows? Right, and
1: Wolsey is up to his evil tricks, trying to undermine Catherine Parr, even though at that point he had already been dead for 13 years.
0: Before I read Rowley's play, I considered the co-authored Fletcher Shakespeare, Henry VIII, wildly inaccurate. But Rowley's play is so much more crazy. But the play, it it wasn't meant to be historically accurate, of course.
1: Theater historians believe that Shakespeare and Fletcher were inspired to write this version of Henry's life because of the success of Rowley's plays, goofed up timeline or no. And it predated Shakespeare's version by almost 10 years and both plays use Cardinal Wolsey as a scapegoat
0: villain, and everyone loves a great villain. Master Rowley's play is much more diverting than Master Shakespeare's. Master Rowley includes some comic scenes in which the good king goes out among his people in disguise and cavorts with common ruffians.
1: Ah, uh, and one of those common ruffians makes use of the word sconce in a speech of braggadocio that he delivers to the king, who is in disguise. Give us the quote, Philadelphia.
0: He says, There's not a sword and buckler man in England, nor Europe, but has had a taste of my manhood. I'm toll-free in all cities and the suburbs about them. This is my sconce, my castle, my citadel, And but King Henry, God bless his majesty, I fear not the proudest.
1: Here, the word sconce is being used in the sense of a protection. But maybe the playwright is also making a joke or a a double meaning about this brash fellow's sense or lack of it, to be
0: speaking to the king in this way. In the play, the king in disguise ends up getting in a sword fight with this braggart. And then both get arrested and thrown into the
1: comter, which is a prison, a jail, actually.
0: That is my favorite scene in the play. How I laughed when I saw it performed. I also laughed heartily at the antics of the king's fool, Will Summers. This well-known fool or jester of Henry Eighth has a major part in the play. And Will Summers has a comic sidekick in the person of Cardinal Wolsey's fool, Patch a comic duo. They're like Laurel and Hardy.
1: Really interesting to read the scenes between Will and the king and the other courtiers because you see how much license the fool is given. And I don't think that was Rowley's fancy. I don't think he made that up. I think that was the way it was.
0: Well, I guess that was the function of the jester because they could say things to the highest people in the land in the guise of being entertaining that would never be tolerated coming from someone else. The fool was there to roast the monarch. It must have been a relief to the king or queen in a world where no one ever dared to say anything directly critical.
1: In the play, Will Summers calls the king Harry and the queen Kate. So he's also breaking the social hierarchy, which the Tudors and I guess also the Stuarts they love to play with that because it was so strong at the time. Philadelphia, give us an exchange from the play between Summers and the king.
0: The king and Will are diverting themselves and Queen Catherine Parr and their guest, the emperor, by making up rhymes. The king says, God's mother, Kate, will thou believe the fool? He lies, he lies. Ah, Sarah, William, I perceive and it had been so. You would have shamed me before the emperor. Yet, William, have at you once more. In yonder tower there is a flower that hath my heart. Will Summers finishes the rhyme. Within this hour, she pissed full sour and a letter fart. Ah, four hundred years of bathroom humor. Will Summers was a knave with a lively wit and a ready sconce to please a king. But he might have needed to put up a sconce between him and his master if his jokes went awry. Maybe he had to blow out the sconces when the king was angry to escape in the darkness. So that the king would not beat him on the sconce. Then Will might need a warm sconce to cover the bump on his pate. Give heed to the Bring some 16th century sauce to your vocabulary with the many uses of sconce. Listen in next time. Don't miss a word. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like.